when I teach salespeople sales technique, really what I'm teaching them is how to be a better human being. It's not about how to sell something. It's about how to, how to, how to connect right. and, and how to understand the other person. Um, and so when you look at uh, authenticity, I don't believe in scripts. People can smell inauthenticity pretty quick. They're what I, they're, 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 their radar on, on inauthenticity is really huge. So whenever I hear a salesperson do that, I'm like, man, you don't, that's not how you are in your real life. And so what I do is I shake people out of that and I want them to be more authentic. I'm like, how do you, who's like your best friend in the world? Like who's, who do you hang with? And they pick that person. I go, that's who you're talking to. How do you, how would you speak if that person was here? Yeah. Would you feature dump on them? Would you overload them with information? Would you hit them with a bunch of tie downs and, and, and right. all this trickery? No, you wouldn't because they'd be like, dude, you need to shut up. And you, you tell them the cons because they're your friend. They're your friends. And, and, you and know, it isn't about you. What do you care? It's your right. friend. It's your friend, but you want to do the best thing and you don't want That's to right. like, oh, I yeah. love this. No, no, I just tell you right now, there's some people out there that, that your audience listens to, I'm certain of it, that teach very opposite of what I'm talking about. Huh. And here's my thing. And this is just me. People can right. disagree with this all day long. But the minute I see someone teaching sales and they're like promoting themselves and how successful they are, I get really nervous about it. Why? I just do. I do because they're teaching their audience that it needs to be about them. Don't show me you as the teacher with all your success. Show me your clients with all yeah. their success. This is the Better Wealth Podcast with Caleb Williams. Hello, everyone, and welcome to a very special edition of the Better Wealth Podcast. We have the one and only Ryan Taff in the house, in the studio. In the studio. Welcome to Denver. Thank you, man. I appreciate being here. So this is the very first podcast that I've started with not having a clue where we're going. We have <laughs> no idea what we're talking about. This is just, let's turn on the mic and see what happens. But here's the deal. So Ryan is an incredible human being, oh. travels the country speaking, set wrote the bar a book. Lower. Set the bar low. I'm setting the bar high, goes around the country speaking, wrote a book, has done real estate, was literally teaching a group of salespeople on different sales strategies and like follow-up techniques. And it's just a, dude, you're amazing. Oh, thank you. And I'm grateful because you're a client and you're a huge advocate for what we're doing. And so I'm like, yeah. you're in Denver, we're, we're hanging out and I'm like, we're, we're just talking about sales and like this stuff is so good. We need to get it recorded because right. <laughs> the impact that it's going to have is going to be amazing. It's a good so. conversation for sure. Okay, so there's your introduction, but yes. why don't you give kind of the your origin story? Like, like I know you've lived through a lot of life. We might look the same age, but, <laughs> <laughs> but this guy's got a couple of years of experience. Uh, yeah, I'll just yeah, say could, on me, yeah. and actually, uh, actually, yeah, so I could actually be your dad. <laughs> so, so tell your story, and then we'll get into the. Some All right. Of the well, I was born a small child. And, no, I um, I grew up in a very interesting uh, kind of household setup, which. When I say this, it sort of explains a little bit about who I am. So, um, and I hate talking about me, so I'm going to do this kind of quick. Um, my father was an actor. Okay. My mother was an alcoholic. And my aunt, who was really integrated in our family, was a real estate agent. There you go. So when you put those three things together, what do I do for a living? I go around mostly talking with sales professionals, uh, sales leaders, a lot in the real estate industry, and I'm in front of groups of people and hoping that they'll go impact other people beyond yeah. themselves and sort of when people ask me what I do for a living, I, I say I help salespeople get back to being human beings in the sales wow. process. But I, yeah, I grew up with a 
just really that was that was the environment you know a dad who was very outgoing and always wanted to be on stage and um always driven by human behavior with my mom the way she was and then you add in the sales aspect with my aunt and here i am with you today <laughs> i love it man yeah so when we first met mm-hmm. you told me kind of the story of how you got into real estate being yep. rich dad poor dad you kind of went you had you had it there's there's some rockiness mm-hmm. i would love to hear about like your dad like why don't you just share a little bit of your background and like what's made you be the person you are today Oh gosh. So there's a ton of different aspects that, uh, that could answer that question. Um, so my dad had a big influence on me for sure. Uh, a lot of what to do and some of what not to do, to be dead honest. Uh, my dad was great with being outgoing and charismatic and, and, and that, that part I took from him. The part that I sort of learned of what not to do was the financial part. Yeah. My, my father was not, uh, he was not very good with money. Let's just put it that way. And, um, I can recall, uh, in high school, walking to school, we lived about, I lived in an apartment complex, four doors down from our high school. And, uh, I can recall walking out the door one morning and watching my dad's car get repossessed right in front of basically the high school, which was magical. And he always struggled to pay bills. And I just thought, you know what, that is never going to be me. And so I went on this journey to try and figure out how to I got rich dad, poor dad years ago. What age? Right. Oh, geez, your age. Wow, that's you know, okay. I was twenty. It was I was literally it was nineteen ninety six or seven. So I'm forty six now. I'll be forty six this year. So do the math. So who gave? Did you just stumble upon rich dad? No, 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 no. So this is the craziest part of it. So I was um, I was a part of a network marketing company. I was in okay. Amway. Okay, right? awesome. As, right, and uh, I, that's where I really got my start to sort of pursue self improvement. I had a, a gentleman who was mentoring me, and he handed me a book, uh, How to Win Friends and Influence People. One of my favorite books. Yep. yep. And uh, at the time, uh, sorry for the visual on this, I had long dyed black hair because <laughs> I was in a rock band, right. actually. Yeah. Right. There's the dad performance part, right? And I had three earrings in my left ear and two in my right, and I had stretch pants. Sorry for that visual. It's terrible. <laughs> they were striped, too. It's like an 80s, 90s, early 90s thing. Yeah. <laughs> And uh, leopard shoes. And I was a drummer in, in a rock and roll band. And um, someone recruited me into Amway. And I, it was a culture shock for sure. But they got me on this kick that said, if you want to be better than who you are today, some things have to change. Number one was uh, you need to start reading some things other than like maybe Guitar Magazine. Yeah. Right? Or yeah. Rolling Stone Magazine. And so they, they handed me How to Win Friends and Influence People. And uh, this gentleman, uh, Steve Welch, he said, he said, read it in three weeks or we're kind of done working together. Oh, wow. Yeah. And he was like, I don't know, 45. He was probably the age I am now, actually, right. at that time. Super young. Right. Super young. Yeah. Dude. Yeah. Yeah. At the time, I was like, this guy was old. Anyway, and uh, three weeks later, I brought the book back to him and, and he turned around and handed me the exact same book back and said, read this one. I was like, uh, are you senile? I just read that. And he goes, you need it twice, dude. So he made me read the same book. Wow. And then Rich Dad, Poor Dad came on the scene because I was part of a monthly book club. Yeah. And that one's just, you know, if you know Kiyosaki's story, part of how he got his book out there was he got connected with Dexter Yeager and got his book into the Amway system. And that's was part of how he got that promoted. Wow. And I, I got it. That, that's how I got it was uh, was through the Amway book system. And what was like the aha moment when you read that book? It was work to learn, not to earn. You know, I was like complaining because I was working in telemarketing at the time. I was right. making six dollars and ten cents an hour maybe some 50 cents a yeah. sale. Like yeah. I was selling caller IDs and you know, all this stuff. And I just was like complaining, like all the other kind of employees were about how much we didn't, weren't getting paid. And yeah. you know, you hear this all the totally. time, 
And I just thought, huh, work to learn, not to earn. And I just thought, okay, well, what am I learning in not only my job, but as I work, you know, Amway and I do yeah. all these different things. So I've, that has, that one thing in that book has caused me to always look at pretty much everything I'm doing as to what can I, what can I pull away from this, even if I'm not getting rewarded financially for it. You know, what's interesting is that's the same takeaway that I got from that book. And that's why at the bank, when I was offered jobs that would pay a little bit more, I was mm-hmm. like, I can learn a lot here mm-hmm. and the, the, the value, like, cause I believe in the value economy, money falls value. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And so I was like, I stayed mainly because of that book and think and grow rich. Those are the two books that I read yeah, yeah, yeah. that were like, I'm going to stay where I'm at. I don't care about the money that I'm earning now yeah. because of what it can set me up to. Yeah. Yeah. Think and Grow Rich was one of the other ones as well. So it was like kind of the classics had when friends and influence people think and grow rich and then rich dad, poor dad and the personality books. And so, yeah. So you're 20, 22, 23. Mm -hmm. What, what happens next? So I, I worked my guts out doing that and I didn't, I think my first check in that business was for $8 and I think my last check was for $8 and 10 cents. Really? Four years later. Yeah. Okay. So I really worked to learn and not to earn (laughs) There's awesome. not a lot of compound interest going No, on. there was not a lot. I did not. But man, I got to tell you, when I think about my my ability to get in front of a group of people, mm-hmm. I didn't realize what I was actually learning at the time yeah. because I was doing presentations. Right. I was sitting, I was, you'd, I'd be in a Denny's, right, with a white shirt and a red tie and I was drawing out the, the circles and doing the plan and all this stuff. And, uh, and then it turned into to home parties and I was presenting in front of groups of people and right along those lines, while I was working the telemarketing job, a gentleman by the name of Finley Hammond approached me and said, you know, if you get your act together, you'd be a good trainer. And he hmm. recruited me to become a trainer in a telemarketing environment. So I was speaking in Amway and then I started doing that and I started to At learn. At like 25, 26? No, this is 24. Wow. Like 23, 24 was when wow. I got that job. So, you started, so it was pretty quick. You started training. Yeah. Wow. I, was, I had no clue what I was doing. I mean, we're talking like, okay, um... Well, you, you, John, read paragraph one, go, right? And I just have everyone read, oh, paragraph. It's right. horrible, right, absolutely right. terrible. But, you know, you got to start somewhere. Right. Okay. And so mm-hmm. after, after the Amway, mm-hmm. after you crushed mm-hmm. it in Amway, yeah. Yeah. What, so what, what led you, so what did you, when did you get into real estate? Yeah. So pretty much right after that, okay. I, I, I had grown in the, uh, in the telemarketing world to become a trainer and, um, actually Probably a little bit before maybe your time, but you might remember this as the Nextel phones. Okay. No, you no. Have no clue what I'm talking about no right clue. now. God, you're killing me, Smalls. Anyway, so the the for those of you listening that are over the age of 30, um, you'll remember the Nextel phones, and they were like walkie-talkie phones, and it was a national, you know, it was everywhere. And I actually did all of the training for the inbound and the outbound telemarketing because mm. all of that went into our call center. And so I was the trainer there. And I actually got fired from that job. Oh, wow. Yeah, I got fired from that job. And that's where I learned the game of corporate America and that you don't make your boss, who's never actually done training, look dumb in front of everyone else. That's less, I learned that <laughs> that's, lesson. That's, that's chapter one. That's in your chapter book. one in the book. Yeah, that was it. That was it. And uh, anyway, so I got fired. And immediately, it's kind of like, you know, they say like, um, if you close one door, another door opens. Yeah. That week that I got fired, I got a phone call from an ex-boss who said, hey, I'm opening up a company in Jamaica. Can you come do some training for me? I'm like, uh, okay. Yeah. <laughs> and that's exactly what happened. So I spent four months in Jamaica, uh, came home right. I actually had signed up for real estate school right before that and was in the middle of that. Came back, got my real estate license, was in new home sales, 
because that my dad sold real estate part time right. along with my aunt selling it. My uncle was an architect. There's so what's of, interesting is so your dad you kind of like, wasn't necessarily fu- crushing it financially, no. but he's in the real estate world. So did that kind of rub off? Like, did you think people in real estate were poor? Or no, what, how did I, that... I knew that it, I knew that it was more of a side gig for him. His real passion was was performance and acting, and I knew that he was just trying to kind of create some additional income and he'd land a deal and he was a real estate agent in Beverly Hills. Nice. So he'd land a deal and it would pay him 30 grand. And this is in the eighties. Oh, wow. So, you know, it was like, yeah, it paid the, he paid the rent a year in advance. So, so that was cool. And that was, that was really good. But I knew that he wasn't like top dog or whatever, but I knew it wasn't his passion. So, right. And what made you passionate about real estate? Um, it really was the impact, the, the impact to actually see someone who, who didn't think they could buy a home. And you actually help them yeah. to do that. Uh, it kind of goes along the lines of what you do. You know, when you think about how, because we've had these conversations yeah. around your passion of help, helping someone who didn't think they could actually create wealth because they weren't either born into it or they didn't have the knowledge, but to really understand how money works and that you didn't have to be rich to get rich type yeah. kind of thing. Yeah. Like you can hear people say like, oh, well, I don't have any money. Right. So how am I supposed to make money? And anyway, <laughs> Think that if you repeat that out loud, then it sounds really goofy. All right. Yeah. But that really was the uh, the, the the spark for me, and as far as real as far as real estate sales go, right? You know, to to help people. And then when did you start investing in real estate? That was pretty much right away. I mean, okay. I bought my first home when I was twenty six, I think, and I had no clue what I was doing. Right. I bought my second home when I was twenty six. Did like you get a bank loan? Yeah. How in the world did they give you? Like, how did you pull that off? I went to someone who was in the mortgage industry and said, my credit's probably not awesome. You know, I did stupid things as a kid and, yeah. you know, credit card, yay, free money, you know. <laughs> it's the minimum payments are so small. No, yeah, Dave Ramsey's like, what? Yeah, he's not even on this podcast, but he's mad. But anyway, I, uh, yeah, so he, I went to a guy, my buddy Joe Alberts, he's a friend of mine today, but at the time he was like the guru and I just yeah. was like, oh, Joe Alberts. And he helped me clean up my credit. And I got in and bought a home and was making okay money in in in, in that arena. And uh, then I bought a second home. And was you were cash flowing them? You were like renting them the, out? The, well, I was I house hacked the first one. Like you, okay. you know, like that wasn't a term back then. But I bought a home and I rented out all the other bedrooms, and so my mortgage was free. Totally. Yeah. Smart. I didn't. Yep. I I figured that was a smart thing, but I didn't know it was. You didn't read hacking. that in a book. That was not yep. a book. Okay. That was just me being cheap. Yeah. Um. Yeah. It's fair. Uh, and then I bought a second home and I thought, oh, I'll, I'm going to lease option that one out. And this was in 2000 and I don't know, three, four. So for, for the audience, define lease option. Lease option basically is you lease the home with the option to purchase and a piece of your, uh, of your monthly rent goes towards the purchase price of the home in, in yeah. a nutshell. And what I didn't realize because I didn't know any better was that the market was like on this vertical climb, like insane vertical climb in 0304 yeah. into 06. Yeah. And when that when that family actually capitalized on that, they walked into that deal with probably 75,000 in equity. That's insane. Yeah, it was because, the best move because, ever for them. Because the houses were appreciating at such a rate. It was ridiculous. Think about the this lost opportunity. This is Phoenix, Arizona, where, where this was oh, happening wow. too. So okay. yeah, no, it was, that, that family was probably like, well, that guy was amazing. <laughs> I just didn't know what I was doing. I right. Mean, I'm, I'm not to say that I'm not happy that they made money. I did too, actually. And that's the cool thing about a lease option is you didn't, like, you lost the opportunity to make more money, but, like, you were, you made money. I did. Yeah. 
They made more than I did, but, yeah. but they made money. I made money. It was good. So, so you, how many how many houses did you have when 2008 happened? Six. And you got hit hard. I got hit. Um, I was fortunate enough because I was in the industry that I started hearing the word bubble. Okay. A little bit beforehand. So I started to liquidate a few things um, proactively, and I did. I liquidated a couple of homes and actually made some really good money on a couple of them. But I was a little late to the game on a couple, and yeah, we 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 lost a couple. Yeah. <laughs> so yeah. It, was, it was bad. And you were were you working at where you are now, or like what were you doing? So I was the national sales trainer for a uh, Fortune 500 home builder at the time, oh. and oh. Uh, the layoffs started to come fast and furious. I was uh, in charge of. 30, roughly 32 trainers across the nation um, that was representing billions of dollars of sales. And um, the overnight, they pretty much let go of every one of those trainers, with the exception of one who's actually still there. I don't know how she's made it. It was amazing. She's awesome is the reason that she stayed. Um, And then they came to me and said, hey, we want to cut your pay in half, but we want to increase your travel to almost 100%. And I was like... How about new? Yeah. <laughs> it's not a, okay. It's not okay. Yeah. So I did the most brilliant thing you could do in 2007. I started my own seminar company. <laughs> like the, if you were to pinpoint like the worst time to pick to start a seminar company, it would have been the day I started it. So how long did that last? It actually lasted a couple of years. We, I was in another network marketing company at this point too. Okay. Uh, my buddy of mine was making $80,000 a month. Wow. And he was worked with me in real estate. And so I was like, Okay, I need to check this out. So I started working with him, and I was I was doing pretty well with it. I was making enough money to cover bills, and so I wasn't yep. too terribly concerned uh, about the timing of the of the seminar company. And then um, and then fast forward a couple of years, and I got a phone call from uh, from my buddy Jeff Shore, who said, "Hey, why don't we team up?" And um, and I've been working with him for about six years now. And when did you write the book? So I wrote the book in '09. Okay. And I've written co-written another book with Jeff. Uh, a few years back, and we actually just co-wrote another one. Oh, congratulations! Uh, yeah, and that one's in the in the hopper right now, getting ready to be released. But we're we're waiting for specific timing on that one. Awesome, yeah. awesome. Okay, so thank you for sharing. Number one, well, yeah, thank well, you. One of the things I really appreciate about you is you're so you're you're wise. Beyond, like I was going to say, be wise beyond your years, but you're not my <laughs> you're not my age. Easy, you're, turbo. You're, <laughs> easy. But here's the deal: like I like, what do you want to talk about? Like you you trained. Thousands, hundreds of thousands of people on sales mm-hmm. about, I mean, we could talk about real estate. We could talk yeah. about your money philosophy. Mm-hmm. Um, we were talking about sales right before. Yeah. yeah. I believe selling, I mean, let, let me ask you this. Like, do you think sales are important or what? <laughs> kind of, yeah. Like, it is yeah. the thing that will make or break you, whether you're an entrepreneur listening to this, whether you're, like, regardless of where you, what position you're in, you have to understand how sales work because that's what brings in the money for Keep the lights on. And even if it's not money related, it's I always love the people that say, well, I'm just not a salesperson. And they, they, they kind of flop their hands over as they say, like, I'm just not a salesperson. And then they do it and they've got this big giant diamond on their finger. I'm like, yeah, you sold something to somebody. Yeah. <laughs> do you know what I'm saying? Like, right. We're always it, selling. There's influence involved. I don't care if it's a group of people getting together to figure out where to go eat. Somebody's influencing somebody in that scenario. So I, I, I think that, I think that, Sales is a good place to start because if you if you want something in this world, you're going to have to influence other people to collaborate with you. Yeah. Because it's 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 what you're going to find is that, and you already know that. When I say you, I mean the audience. If you're if you're just starting out, you're going to find that life is a team sport. It's a team sport, right? Yeah. And uh, they don't it, the success doesn't come and knock on your door. I had a mentor, Bob Schmidt, used to say, you know, success will not attack you. It doesn't come after you. <laughs> Uh, you have to go after it. So when you look at the the concept of sales, if we can di- kind of 
divert a little bit into maybe some of the things I see wrong. Okay, let's done do wrong. it. Like yeah. I, I think I, I really think half of being smart is knowing what we're dumb at. Yeah. Um, and one of the things I go back to some of the old school training that I received. I, I actually had a um, had a, a teacher say to our class, "You need to envision your commission tattooed on your customer's forehead." Wait, when was this? Wait, hang on. Let's hit the pause button. Everyone go throw up in the corner for a minute. <laughs> no, this is, this is, you know, this is like, I don't know, 90s, early 90s. So you're like, you don't take no for an answer. It's, it's you know, it's, it's, like it's, it's the always be closing and the go for the throat and all this type of stuff. And I just, it always, I was trained in manipulation, to be dead honest. Hmm. Because if you go flip open a book from the 80s on sales, I mean, go look at any of the, go look, go watch the movie Glenn Gary, Glenn Ross, huh. right? It's all about manipulation and lying and all these types of things. And the problem with most sales people, in my opinion, and I don't care whether it's a door-to-door person selling solar panel or it's a car salesman or even, you know, somebody at a, at a mall. The problem that most people have in that environment is their focus is on the wrong person themselves. You got it. It's exactly, for those of you just listening, Caleb just pointed to yeah. self. And that's exactly right. Yeah. And what is the old saying is that pride is the fall of man. Yeah. Right. And so... As you look at this, I see a lot of people who make the sale all about themselves, and that is really problematic. Wow. And and so what kind of questions do people ask when they're when they're asking out of selfishness or like when it's obvious, like what are some yeah, of the yeah. biggest mistakes people make when it's it's all about that? Well, what they're it's it's actually rooted in, in what they're trying to accomplish. I say you're either about the customer's mission or you're huh. about your commission. Oh wow. You can't be about both. Wow. And it's kind of obvious, actually. Yeah. Right. Like, if um, if if you've ever read the book, uh, not How to Win Friends, but um, Seven Habits of Highly Effective People. Yeah. Another good book. Right. Stephen Covey talks about seek to understand. And then you'll be understood. And then you'll be understood. And what too many salespeople do is they actually seek to solve. So, for example, for me to not like for me to solve your problems before I know what your problem is. Yeah. Exactly. Exactly. I'll give you an example of this. So I had a, um, I had a friend of mine went to the car lot to go look huh. at cars. And before we got in there, she said, she said, you know, I really just am looking for like a Nissan Altima or a Maxima if I can afford it. And, you know, silver, red, or, you know, white. Those are the three colors I'd consider. Sales guy comes up, says, hey, how you doing? Looks at me, shakes my hand, starts talking to me, kind of ignores her, right? First, like, no, no. And then uh, he says, so uh, so what kind of car are you looking for today? And I go, well, actually, it's not for me. It's for her. And he literally looks her up and down and says, what do you do for a living? And I'm like, oh, my gosh, this is so bad. And she says, well, I'm a teacher. He goes, I have the perfect car for you. Oh. All he knows is she's a teacher. He, he, her name and she's a teacher. I have the perfect car for you. And, and she said, well, actually, what I'm looking for is, and she, Ultima or Maxima, gave that description. Yeah. And he goes, okay, okay. He goes, well, let me show you this one first. And he drives up in a used green Nissan Sentra that I have to imagine had some sort of spiff on to get off the lot because it was a dog, right? Oh, no. And he starts trying to push it, and he wouldn't listen. And finally, I was like, dude, can, I, can we just chat for a minute? And it was funny because his, his GM, I actually knew the GM, and the GM was like, I'm sorry, I got this. Like, so I just started working with this kid because it was all about all about what he was trying to sell, not what the customer was trying to solve. Uh, you know what? You know what bothers me, and this is something that we talk about. My my coworker Jeff Shore and Amy O'Connor, we talk about this all the time. Is how is it that you walk onto a car lot and no one asks this question? 
what is going on with your current car? What's wrong with it that's got you thinking you need to replace it? Wow. No, I've never been asked that question. I said, I always ask, what are you looking for? Because they're searching to solve. What can I sell you? Yeah. Well, how can I? How can I match what you want with what I have? Yeah. That's like, it's, it's like going on a date. You go on a date with a girl and you say, so what are you looking for in a husband? What? Whoa, <laughs> calm it down, yeah. Turbo. Right, 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 right. No. But but to be completely frank, like I get I get called a lot by people struggling, especially in my industry, mm-hmm. right? And like you it doesn't take you long to realize what their number one problem is. It's themselves. It's themselves, but they don't listen. That's right. And like it's and, and again, it's it's so so what do you do when you're sit you you have someone that's struggling? Mm-hmm. And obviously, you don't want to just assume that you can solve their problem. How do you coach people? on Because that's what you do for a living. Yeah, yeah, yeah. How do you yeah. make people make more money? Well, what you have to do is you have to, you have to change the way they approach relationships right out of yeah. the gate, right? It's because, because you're, you said it a minute ago is that it's about the value that you okay. bring, right? What is it Jim Rohn used to say? Uh, it's, not the, uh, it's, it's, it's not what you bring to the – it's not what, the, not what you do in the hour. It's the value you bring to that hour or something along those lines. Yep. And I always say, like, people, people want to make sure that you're solving the right problem. And it's the reason why most people avoid salespeople. If you get too salesy too quickly, you start trying to solve a problem too quickly, it's got commission breath all over it. And so if you want to really help somebody, you have to truly understand them. So yeah. curiosity, to me, curiosity is the number one sales trait you have to have. Yeah. It's not about how to overcome an objection or asking for the sale and all those things. And those are good things. Right. But if you're not curious, you don't actually truly know your customer. And we believe that if you know your customer well enough, they will show you how to sell them whatever it is, a life insurance policy, a home, a car, a right. whatever. So one of the questions that I ask a lot of people is I, I love knowing how their parents met. Mm. <laughs> I don't know if that's a, I don't know if that will backfire someday, it but, but it, one of the things is it's just like, I'm naturally curious. Mm. And so you we, are, you are very curious, which makes you great at what you do actually. Well, thanks. But it's, it's something that I've like, it's not something that I try. It's not a tactic. No, like no, I no, genuinely no. like, that's the key. That's the key. My wife is the exact same way. Uh, yeah. Uh, how, but can you teach that? Or is it you, like, you can, it's not you like, actually can, you, you can, can, you, you can, can teach genuineness. You can, you can te- well, you can teach genuine curiosity. How? Practice. It takes genuine practice and the way that it works. And there's an exercise that I like to do with folks. And it's a, it's something we call the five minute questions only drill. And what it is, is you find somebody that you don't know. Yeah. You just don't, you don't know them at all. And you engage in a five minute conversation where all you're allowed to do is ask questions and that's it. And just practice being a question asker. And eventually you start to learn so much stuff from people. If you can stay disciplined, that turns into 10 minutes, you know, like, I, I know you drive in Ubers when you travel, and I do right. too. That's what I do in an Uber. Yeah. I literally can go for up to an hour right. in an Uber only asking questions. I had a funny story, actually, this just happened. So I, I, I'm coming home from a trip. I, I forget where I was, but I, I, I get into the Uber, and this kid is really like young kid, very anxious, very excited. And, he's, he, and he gets out of the car. He goes, are you Mr. Ryan? And I'm like... Sure, I'll be Mr. Ryan. That works. Yeah, yeah, yeah. that's my name. Sure, absolutely. So we so we get in the car, and I said, "Oh, all right. Well, you seem pretty excited. You do this full time or part time?" And he's like, "Oh no, this is a bit of both." And I'm like, "Well, tell me, like, what do you mean?" He says, "Well, I do it as much as I can, but my real passion is, and my my real my real gig is, I want to be a motivational speaker, and I'm kind of dying inside, right? Like, I'm like, this is going to go so well." And, uh, and, I, and I start talking to him, I'm like, all right, so you want to be a motivational speaker? That is fantastic. I go, so who, who's your inspiration? He's like, oh, you know what? I love me some Les Brown, you know? And he does the voice. He's like, if you can look up, you can get up, right? 
and he starts talking about less and he's just going on and on and on and I'm just listening I'm just listening and I'm just questions only anyway long story short I find out everything about this kid his background yeah. what he wants to do what his plans are everything and it's about a 27 28 minute drive from the airport to my front door as you know because you've been yeah. there yeah and I made made the decision halfway through this ride that if he was to have asked me like will you will you mentor me will, can we have a cup of coffee if he would have asked the question I would say yes did he know what you did? Not a clue. He didn't never ask. Well, not until we pulled up in front of my house. Finally, we get in front of my house, and right as I'm about, he goes, you know what, Mr. Ryan, I never asked. What do you do for a living? I said, well, I'm a professional speaker. He's like, oh, damn! <laughs> and then he asked me, and I was like, all right, cool, let's exchange information. But my point is this, is that, wow. Wow. Is that curiosity gets you so much more, and you, you can practice being curious. But part of the issue isn't even if you're curious. That part of the, the main issue is who's your focus on, you or others. And here's the lesson. It isn't about you. Period. End of story. It is not about you. And that's, oh. that's not just a sales. That's tactic. a life thing. That's like a le- like how to have a happier marriage, how to be a better leader, how to show up more powerful at work. You can apply that in any arena. And part of the reason, if you look around the world, there's a lot of people getting offended at things today. Oh, you yeah. ever noticed? You ever oh. noticed? I'm offended that you even said that. I'm offended that I said it. So there we are. <laughs> but the problem is that if you look at if you look at being offended, offended is you making it about you. You're 100 percent right. That, that's it. Everyone that gets triggered, it's because it's about you. I my mentor huh. in uh, New Mexico, uh, Reverend T.J. Smith, and he used to say, "You you you can't offend a dead person." He said, "So you need to die to yourself." Oh wow! You need to die to yourself, meaning that you just you can't if it you can't make it about you. Period. That's it. I had a guy come to the door the other day trying to sell me solar panels. And when I turned him down, he got all pissed off at me and rushed off, cussing me out. It was all about him, period. Absolutely 100%. I knew it when he came up. Because of, and what's the, what's the thing about in sales, like the nonverbals? Oh, yeah. Is it, what is it, 85%? Well, there's a study and it's sort of questionable, but if you're looking at it, it's, a, it's 7% is words, 38% is tonality, and 55% is body language. Interesting. Yeah. Yeah. So, I mean, you know, he's saying all the right things, but he's rolling his eyes and he's got the, like that stuff. Right. The teenage sigh, as right. I call it. Yeah. Interesting. Okay. So the people that are crushing it, like yeah. in leadership and sales, like what's one thing that you've noticed like as a habit in their life? Oh, well, I think this goes back to if you study Gary Vee or Tony Robbins or any of these things, it's, they just, they take massive action. They, mm. they, they, they just do. And they don't worry about the consequences as much or if they're making mistakes and they're not afraid to make those mistakes. Right. Uh, they just they just sort of push through that. And that is what I've seen people really, the number one trait is they just go. How, how Where does authentic, like being authentic fall into that? Because one thing that I've noticed is a lot of the people that I admire, even like Gary Vee, like yeah, yeah. he's very authentic. <laughs> and he yes. does it sort of in a crude way. Sure, sure. Um, so is, you know, Tony Robbins and... Yep. How does does that? Where is that on the list of things I that think like? It's huge. I think, I think if you're curious but inauthentic, yeah. it shows up as though you're curious for you. Hundred percent. It goes back to absolutely. It's all about you. Absolutely. Yeah. So you know, I tell people, I say that you know, I'm not like when I teach salespeople sales technique. Really, what I'm teaching them is how to be a better human being. It's not about how to sell something. It's about how to how to how to connect. Right. And and how to understand the other person. Um. And so when you look at uh, authenticity, I don't believe in scripts. 
know, maybe if you're oh, like, no. yeah. you know, if you're like brand new starting out and you don't, you know, you've never really connected with folks and you're selling telemarketing. Like I read scripts when I was telemarketing, but eventually I learned what those were and made them my own. And right. I think that's the, that's the plan. But when you're talking about really like when you're talking about selling, you know, like, Hey, even in an interview, like you don't go in scripted, you don't, people can smell inauthenticity pretty quick. They're what I, they're, 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 their radar on, on inauthenticity is really huge, which I think is why people love Gary Vee, even though he's sort of crass. Is it's him. That's and the, he'll call the, it out, and too. he will call it out. Absolutely. And so, if you're if you're scripted, that's why I say I help salespeople get back to being human beings in the sales process. Let me give you an example. This is the funniest thing in the world. So you'll hear a salesperson ask a question, like like in real estate, new home sales, because I do yeah. a lot of work in that arena. And they'll say this. They'll say, um, "So, what are you looking for in a new home?" And the person will say, "We really need a big backyard." And the salesperson will respond and say, so a big backyard's important to you. It's the dumbest thing you could ever say. Because I want you to take that same conversation and put it like you and I are buddies yeah. and we're at a coffee shop. Yeah. And uh, and you say, man, I really could use a refill of this cup of coffee. And I say, so a cup of coffee's important to you. You'd be like, dude, you're a freaking weirdo. We're yeah. never having coffee again. Right. But we're, we're literally taught that. Repeat what the customer is going to say. That's right. That's right. But you don't talk like that in your real life. You You, you confirm <laughs> through curiosity. You don't repeat a stupid statement like that. So whenever I hear a salesperson do that, I'm like, man, you don't, that's not how you are in your real life. And so what I do is I shake people out of that and I want them to be more authentic. I'm like, how do you, who's like your best friend in the world? Like who's, who do you hang with? And they pick that person. I go, that's who you're talking to. How do you, how would you speak if that person was here? Yeah. Would you feature dump on them? Would you overload them with information? Would you hit them with a bunch of tie downs and, and, and right. all this trickery? No, you wouldn't because they'd be like, Dude, you need to shut up. And you, you <laughs> tell them the cons because they're your friend. They're your friends. And, and, you and know, it isn't about you. What do you care? It's right. your friend. It's your friend, but you want to do the best thing. And you don't want That's to right. like, oh, I yeah. love this. No, no, I just tell you right now, there's some people out there that, that your audience listens to, I'm certain of it, that teach very opposite of what I'm talking about. Huh. And here's my thing. And this is just me. People can right. disagree with this all day long. But the minute I see someone teaching sales... And they're like promoting themselves and how successful they are. I get really nervous about it. Why? I just do. I do because they're teaching their audience that it needs to be about them. Don't show me you as the teacher with all your success. Show me your clients with all yeah. their success. Yeah. Show me the impact on your on your on on your customer, not on yourself. Hmm. Have you read the book Give and Take by Adam Grant? No, I have not. It's a beautiful book. I would love to get him on this podcast, but his whole thing is like, don't like give without expectation. Yeah. And like givers like, and, and, and don't keep track. Yeah. 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 But like people want to do business with people that give. That's right. Well, just, we, it, okay. So here's a great example. You were just, can, can you talk a little bit about what you were just telling me about what you did oh, yeah. with your client? Cause I think well, this is genius. Well, I mean, one of the things we, we are big in gratitude. And so we had mm -hmm. three people that became clients of us last week. Yep. We sent them all a video. And I just like, I don't need to like prep myself to be authentic. Like I just like, I'm super well, that's, grateful. That actually, if you are prepping yourself, you're not being authentic. Right. I'm just, I'm just <laughs> right. like you're incredibly just like, grateful yeah. that like people like want to do business with us right. and want to be ambassadors with us. And like every single person responded and they're like, like one person was like, thank you so much, brother. I appreciate you. And another person sent back a video. Yep. Another person was like, you brought us to tears. And like, again, like, I was like, wow, I'm, I feel good when I'm that way. And then, and then another thing is just the power of giving. Like we, we, 
we there's some people that we like give like we're trying to think through like what would be valuable to them i'm big in like giving mission statements Mm -hmm. like if you if if you have something so precious to you and and it's like your why Mm -hmm. like this is why you live or your mission Mm -hmm. how awesome would it be to actually like make that for you and send it to you like are you talking like in a frame yeah 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 yeah. i guarantee you whether you hang it up or not like that's gonna be one of the i mean i'm literally looking at the best gift that i got 19 years old at the bank Dorothy Pienka, I wrote a, a, I mean, a mission statement. Like I read Seven Habits of Highly Effective People, right? Yep. Yep. Made up this mission statement. And for my birthday, she she made that for me. That's awesome. And it's it's to this day one of the most precious gifts. Yeah. Yeah. And why? Because it's for you, not to you. Yeah. And yeah. That's, that's, a big, that's a big piece of the puzzle. So let's move on to th- mm-hmm. this idea of money because we, we talk a lot about like philosophy with money. And I know. Sure. And this is the Better Wealth Podcast. So This is the Better Wealth Podcast. But no, like honestly, like. I interviewed a guy today who talks about like he, he combined fiction and, uh, you know, like life principles mm-hmm. and like that's wealth. <laughs> you you can show it more powerfully in your life. Sure. Like it's not just about the money. Right, right, what right, things right. what things have you learned, um, not just in working with me, but in, in the journey of like how money works, how your mindset works? And one of the questions I like to frame up is what how do you define better wealth in your life? Yeah. Well, I think you have to look at better wealth. You know, because the immediate thing, like you just said, is that you go straight to money on better mm-hmm. wealth. But it's a uh, couple couple thoughts on that. One is, um, if you're dead, it doesn't matter. Yeah. So health has to be involved 100%. in better better yeah. wealth, right? Like if you're if you're not my my wife, you know my wife yeah. Melissa. She's if anyone knows Melissa Taft, she's unbelievably healthy and just. Awesome. So she, she's, she's sweet and crazy at the same time. She is. Yeah, it's absolutely true. She's, <laughs> she's one, one heck of a salesperson right here. Yeah, I'll, yeah, I'll, yeah. I'll just leave that up. I was like to say, that's my resume right there. <laughs> um, so she, she, she's never been, I've never, I've, in 10 years of being with her, she's never been sick. Not one time. Oh. Not one time. And she believes in, she doesn't believe in dieting. She's not a, she's not a fanatic, anything like that. She just believes in balance and just living life. So she doesn't restrict herself by living on shakes all day long. None of that stuff. She, you put a ribeye in front of her, she's going to eat that sucker, yeah. right? Like she's, but she's balanced about that. So I think that wealth is, is health as well. I think wealth has to do with relationships. You know, if you're, and not just relationships with, with your, with other people, but even with your own self, I think there's a lot of people that might make a lot of money, but they're really unhappy. I mean, you go look at Robin Williams. What a great example of someone who probably didn't have that piece of wealth figured out as far as like his happiness with himself. Yeah. You know, I mean, ultimately that's the biggest non-confront is is suicide. Yeah. Um, And then in addition to that, of course, you've got to look at um, quality time of what you're doing. You know, are you experiencing things? Is 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 a big thing. There's a lot of people that they... We used to joke in the network marketing industry, people go home to work, work to home, 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 and then they can't wait to die. Yeah. And and that and if that's your if that's your jam, cool, great. Yeah. But most people don't look back and say, Boy, I wish I would have done more of that. They say, yeah. I wish I would have had more experiences, more connection, more relationships, and so forth. As far as the money side goes, I always look at money as not the purpose of things, but the enabler of things. Hmm. Right. So, so like So in another way to say that, it's it's not the purpose. But it's the tool that helps you live your purpose. Hundred percent, absolutely. So, like, if you're, what kind of issues do you have if you're making two hundred grand a month? What kind of, what kind of, what can you, it, your car breaks down, or do you stress over that no, now? Not no, at all. not at all. Do, if you have a, a health concern and you need to go to a doctor for yeah. whatever reason, do you? No, you're like, I want the best one. 
Yep. Right. So I, so some people look at you that. You don't go to the coupon. But no, you're not. You're not like. Let me go to. See what the cheapest offer. It reminds me of that commercial that's out right now where the doctor pops in and he's like, guess who just got reinstated? (laughs) (laughs) And he's amazing. Ready for surgery? Well, we'll see how it goes. See you in there. Maybe, maybe not. It's just the funniest thing because you don't want that guy. But I think that money enables you to live uh, wealthy in all those other areas. You've got more time for relationships. You can go on trips with people. You don't have to think, oh gosh, can I get time off? You know, if, if you've got that scenario. So I think... Part of the part of the plan should be figuring out how to have your wealth actually enable the other parts of your your wealthy life. If yeah. that makes sense, I do. So, what was that phrase again? It doesn't money. Money is not the purpose. It's it's the enabler. It's the enabler. It enables you to do things or to not do things. Right. You know. I mean, if you're sitting there and you're trying to figure out, oof, do I do I buy organic food? Right. Or do I fix the transmission? Well, it's SpaghettiOs right. again tonight, kids, because mom's right. got to get to work. And yep. that's that's the reality of it. But right. there is education on how to, and that's what you do, is right. help people figure out how to, how to change it, how to be more efficient. Yeah. One of the things that I saw that Robert Kiyosaki, he had a video out, and he, he actually said this. He's like, if you're poor, you're selfish. I saw that. Because it's like you don't have anything to give. That's right. Yeah, you're, yeah, just, yeah. you're just consuming, like you're just making money and then spending it. It's just for you. And that yeah. was like, wow, because, and he, I think he went on to say like the, the poor mentality blames the rich. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, you're watching that right now in some of the political debates. It's all the right. rich's fault and so forth. And I, I, I mean, you could do that, but it's so funny. We're going to tax the rich. And it's like, well, if you understand the tax laws, that's not the way that works. <laughs> right, right. It's, it's definitely an interesting philosophy, but it just, it got me thinking. It's mm-hmm. like, we can do a lot of good. And then on the flip side, we, if you don't have your purpose or your why line aligned right. and it is focused on money in a bank yeah. account, yeah, yeah. that's where we see people that have millions and billions of dollars are miserable to the point that they'll like kill themselves. Absolutely. That's exactly right. Because there's the, because, well, what are we back to making it about us? Right. Yeah. My wife is probably one of the biggest givers that I know. Yeah. I mean, yeah, I can, I can back that. I, I've received a lot of love. You know, exactly. It was, it was a very, I think she was personally offended that I had a sore throat when I was in her presence. <laughs> so I got, I got every vitamin, she, and, yeah, you know, anything yeah. you can imagine. I, I consume yeah, those two days. Absolutely. But she's certainly <laughs> helped me grow on the giving side because one of my downsides, which came from my father was this idea that I needed to, that, that, that actually prohibited me from being a big giver early on because I thought, yeah. boy, because my dad would say things like, oh, I need to give my trainer 500 bucks. And I'm like, you only have 400 in your bank account. Like, Yeah, so you saw it as being not a good steward. Not a good steward. And so huh. so my wife is comes very much from the abundance mentality that yep. says, you know what? I, I, if I'm going to give money, it's a seed I'm planting and that will come back. It's, right. She's very biblical based on that. She's very yeah. – and, and she's right. I mean, that's, that's 100% how that's worked. And so it's caused me to be much more focused on, on being a giver. I, I still, I'm not nearly as much as she is, right. um, but I think it's kind of a healthy balance for us. But I do believe it's, it's impactful. Can you unpack the difference between scarcity and abundance mindset? Because yeah. I, I think this is big. Well, I think the scarcity mindset is, is that um, I'm just going to get enough to get by. And it also comes from the there's only so much out there. And so I need to get my fair share and I need to hoard it and I need to hide it and I need to, to protect it. Yeah. And, and I can relate to that through yeah, the totally. early part of my life. I mean, I lived, uh, you know, very 
uh, cheaply on purpose. And yeah. um, not to say that people should be foolish and go spend money they don't have, but uh, you know, they, there's this. So if you know Kiyosaki's story, he talks about this. Um, you know, he lives in the Phoenix area where where I yeah. live. And uh, there's the Vondurant uh, School of Racing out there. And he's gone on that track several mm. times. And there's apparently, once you get advanced enough on that, they take you out and they actually teach you how to handle a crash. Oh, Or wow. a potential crash. Right? And so what they do, it's my understanding, is the instructor who is on the on, in the right seat actually has the ability to actually start to get your, your car to skid out a little bit and start to head towards the wall. And they watch to see how you react. And they say that the majority of the time what happens is that driver, when they start heading towards the wall, their focus goes towards the wall. And the instructor, every time what they do is they grab the, the student's helmet and they force them to look at the track because you move in the direction that you're looking. Brian, that's super profound. Isn't that great? Because if you're looking at the wall, you're going to hit the wall. So if you're looking at scarcity, you're going to have scarcity. But if you're looking at abundance, you will move in the direction. You'll start to, and I'm not into the, like the law of attraction because I think there's right. a lot of holes in that. But I do think that if you, whatever you focus on, you tend to realize more of. 100%. Right? So yeah. if, like, so for example, my wife was just talking to me about this. We were on the, on the drive. I was driving actually to come see you. And, uh, and she said, we just need to be in creative mode. Just be thinking abundantly. Just let the ideas flow because... It goes back to Rich Dad Poor Dad. The second thing I got from that is his poor dad always says, we can't afford it. Yep. And that just shuts it. down yep. all the creativity. How can we afford it now starts to generate that thinking, abundance, mindset. abundance mindset. So yep. that's to me, is the difference. Is One is I can. The other one is I can't. Either way, you're right in the words of Henry Ford. And I'm going to use that analogy 100%. Like if you're looking at the wall, you're going to hit the you're wall. You're going to hit the wall. You, you move in the direction of your focus 100%. So if you're I, – I, my um, – my, my stepdaughter's father, uh, Freddie Chavez, out in uh, Albuquerque. He's actually, we were buddies. So we all hang out together. It's actually pretty cool. And uh, Freddie says, uh, stop looking in the rearview mirror. Yeah. You'll never go forward looking behind. Yeah. It's so true. This is my only shameless plug in this podcast. Do it. I love it. What are, what are some of the key things that you've learned from just working with, with me, reading the book, reading some of the resources? And the reason I asked this question mm -hmm. just for the audience is like, Ryan, I was blown away when he like, <laughs> I, 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 I sort of assume people read my book, but when they're like actually read the book and start applying it and like, like and the, the I'm like, holy moly. Like, uh, but then yeah. you also like, we, you, you and I just talk a lot. Mm -hmm. You're a dear friend. Mm -hmm. And like, we talk a lot about taxes and yeah. efficiency and mm -hmm. real estate. And like, it's been really fun doing this with you. Totally. And I just would love, like, I think you explain things so well. What are some of the aha moments you've had just recently in these last couple of years? Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, you know, when you look at, you always hear like this idea of leverage or compound interest or whatever the case is. But most people, if you talk to them, they don't really experience compound interest the way that it that it could work. No way. Yeah. I, mean, I mean, they get eaten up in taxes or fees or whatever the case yeah. is. And the advice you get told is, you know, get a good, you know, portfolio manager and, you know, but most people don't even know what they're paying. They just hope that their, that their, their 401k is going to make them money. And again, going back to Kiyosaki, he's always been a hater on 401ks. And as I started talking with you a little bit more, I started to realize why there's so much, so much risk right. in the 401k. And it's, it's simply this. It's that, um, first off, there's the, the control. Yeah. It was one of the top That's things in your book that I got is you don't have control. Yep. 
And that's one of the reasons I'm attracted to real estate is you can do some things to control yep. your, 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 your cash flow or your, your capital gains or whatever your strategy is. You can, you can improve the property. Right. But when it comes to a 401k, you're putting your money in and it's sort of like you can monitor it and you can change it and you can do things, but you don't have any control over it. The other part of it is, is that at the time when it comes to liquidating it, the problem that you're up against here is that you have these minimum withdrawal requirements that you have to take at a certain age. And if not, you get fined. Yep. Like a lot. It's not your money. It's not your money. Yeah. Yeah. And so they fine you. And and then the, the, so, so you have no control. You have to take it out at a certain age. And then the other major, massive, major, major, major issue that we've been talking about is the tax, the tax part on it. Um, you know, I'm reading a lot about that from recommendations from you and, you know, in our conversations. And if you study the history of tax, and this is the, the, the big thing, is that we're actually in a pretty good tax spot right now. Like the history of tax is actually, I mean, if, I don't know if you watched any of these debates that happened the other night. I watched the highlights and that was enough. That was enough? Yeah. Yeah. They're like, how many of you are in favor of like 70% tax? And everyone's like raising their hands and I, you know, I don't know what's going to happen in the future, but if you had to bet, my suspicion is taxes would go up. Yep. And when you're, if you've got a 401k, you don't, now you don't have control. Yep. You're penalized if you don't take it out and then you're taxed because it's, you, you've deferred that tax. A lot yep. of people think it's tax free. It's not, it's deferred tax. Yeah, it's postponing. It's postponing it. Yep. And, um, so that's one of the biggest things is you talk about the nine levers yep. that need to be pulled in order to really be in charge of your wealth. And that violates a handful of them right there. Right. And so, yeah, that's, that's, that's a piece of it. Yeah. I mean, the more and more I just go through life, I'm realizing most people don't have control over their life. I mean, you probably see this in just like people that feel trapped at their, at their jobs Absolutely. and just like you can even, you can be successful mm-hmm. and just have no control over your life. hundred percent. And yeah, so I appreciate that, man. Mm-hmm. Um, one, I want to end this really fun conversation for not for nothing being script. For it, I know, yeah, that, I think we even, did okay. Yeah, pretty good, pretty good. Uh, I call this kind of the legacy question. You are on. This is your last day on this earth. Mm-hmm. You get to spend time with the people that you love the most. I don't know if I make that that cut or not, oh, but with Melissa yep, and your yep. family, and you can share with them like anything, and you can talk about the lessons that you learned. Yeah. You can talk about anything. You, after that day, you're done. Yeah, yeah, yeah. What, are you, what kind of conversations are you having? What are you sharing? It isn't about you. That, 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 would, be, that would be it. I, again, this is why I go back to these, these gurus that take shots of themselves in front of their Rolls Royces and all these things. And I'm like, you know, if that's what you want it to be about. But I'm more interested in yeah. beyond that. So what, if I'm talking to my, like, my, as I call her, my bonus daughter, Ashley, you know, and we're talking – we're not, that's not, that's not the interest. The interest isn't on what we're getting for us. The interest is on the impact. Yeah. So it's not, it's not, I'm not impacting my bank account. It's how am I impacting other people's lives? Because if it isn't about me, then, then that has to be the the last thing that we talk about, in my opinion, which is why I like working with you because you're on that same wavelength. We always talk about associating with people that are like-minded. You know, I had, I'll, I'll I'll leave with this, that if you want to you want to improve your life and really truly have impact, you've got to, you have to become more valuable to other people. 100%. You have to. Uh, and what you like to say, and I love this, is that you're your greatest asset, right? Yeah. And the only way you do that is by doing three things. And uh, one of them is by associating with people who are just beyond you. And I know that you're yeah. all, you said it on a call. I was listening to you on a phone call earlier yeah. and you said, I love surrounding myself with people that are just right. doing things that are moving, shaking, et cetera. 
So, you know, if you're, if you're, if your top people that you hang out with are not movers and shakers, or they're not moving in the direction, or they're not thinking the way you want to think, and they don't stretch you, they don't challenge you, you might need to kind of change that. Uh, that was what my mentor said to me years ago when I was oh. in the rock band. He says, you know, you got a singer who's singing about suicide. You got a bass player who's playing video games in his underwear, eating cereal all day. And you got a manic depressive guitarist. Anyway, he's like, no wonder. what are you doing? Yeah, yeah. So um, so you need to, sh- to, to change that. So association. I know you go to a lot of events. I go to a lot of events. And I'm always looking for who's the person in the room that intimidates me. Who's wow. the person that, that almost scares me a little bit from how much they know? We were talking about Lance Wall now the other yeah. day. Like we oh, both yeah. know him, and like that guy is just as sharp as can be, right? Uh, so that's the first one. Second one is what are you reading? Yeah, the books that you're reading. You need to become a reading machine, man. If you haven't read The End Asset, you're on crack. You need to get it. <laughs> um, you know the the find the what do you where do you need to learn? Do you need to be better at communication? Do you need to be better at finance? Do you need to be better at at speaking, what, what do you need to, to be better at? Go, there's a book. I'll guarantee you there's a book on it. I'll, yeah. I know we're dragging this out, but I have to say this. <laughs> His mentor, right before he died, Bob Schmidt, he's, we're at breakfast one day, and he says this to me. He says, he says, you know what's crazy, Ryan? And I said, what's that, Bob? He says, getting rich in America is easier than any other place in the world to create wealth, and most people will never do it. And I said, yeah, that's true. He says, you know, you could go down to the – to the used bookstore, and you could go get a book by J. Paul Getty, the world's first billionaire, called How to Be Rich. And he says, it's not like you can miss the meaning of the book. Yeah, the title is the not. The title's it. sort of obvious. Yeah. He says, it'd cost you 25 cents to buy it at a used bookstore. And he says, the average person will never read it, ever. They'll watch, you know, whatever reality TV show or numb out to a Netflix show or whatever the case is. Yeah. But they won't read that book. And he says, not getting rich in America is like getting locked in a fully stocked grocery store and finding a way to starve to death. Oh, my goodness. What a powerful analogy. That, right? And I mean, and, and then that was the last time I ever spoke to him is when he said that. And I was like, oh, my gosh. And so that's always stuck with me. And then, so we've got association. We've got reading books. And the last thing is, what are you listening to? And we're sort of preaching to the choir here because we've got people who are listening to this podcast. So right. for those of you listening, you're on the right track. Like, keep listening to this podcast. Go search out other podcasts. And while you're listening, subscribe. Subscribe. And write and, a five-star five forward it on to other people and <laughs> et cetera. But, yeah, I think that's absolutely the case. Is so those three things are, are huge, huge, huge things to change the value you bring to other people and the impact to make it not about you. Ryan, thank you so much for showing up powerfully. Thank you for being such an incredible friend and adding so much value, man. That's the goal, right? Thank you. And uh, appreciate appreciate you. Thank you so much for listening to the Better Wealth Podcast. Make sure you press subscribe so you don't miss the next episode. You can listen on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Google, or your favorite podcast player.